Uh, do you know which Bible stories were the most prominent stories that the, first, the very first Christians used, the ones in the first hundred years? What were the Bible stories they talked about the most and that they painted the most? Uh, we know this from some of their art. And I'll give you a little hint. It's not the cross. It was not the cross. Um, the first most common one was the baptism of Jesus. This is an actual painting from one of the catacombs. So, yeah, it's a very simple painting, but remember, they're doing it in the dark, underground. So, that's John baptizing Jesus. And the second most common one was the resurrection of Lazarus. And you see it, they made lots of mosaics of this. These were the two biggest things in early Christian art. Uh, What they have in common is this theme of rebirth and resurrection. Death to new life, starting over. God raising us up to something new. The images were powerful for those very early Christians as they had to live kind of an underground life, uh, as they had to live sometimes double lives. Uh, And a lot of them uh, were not raised as Christians, uh, or they weren't even raised as Jews. They were Greeks. They were Romans. They followed Zeus and Hera and them. And uh, they became Christian by choice. And when they did so, there was usually a pretty substantial cost. They could lose their families. They could lose their jobs. Uh, And often your family network was also your business network. So if your family kicked you out, you lost all those interpersonal connections you needed to do business. So you could be out of a job. You could be cut off. In a worst case, you could be killed. So when you took on a Christian identity, you were really up your old self and becoming something new. It was a whole new identity. And for a lot of the people, it was seen as something very positive. Roman society was very class stratified. 99% of the time, the way you were born was the way you died. And if you were born poor, 99% of the time, that would be how you'd live your entire life. You were an outcast, if they thought there was something defective with you, uh, you were branded with that identity and you didn't have a choice about it. But becoming a Christian then, this became a big deal. Because in Jesus now, I could take on a new identity. I could cast off that old brand that the Romans had given me. And yeah, you could get killed for it, but you had a freedom in the church to be something new that that world wouldn't give you. It was very appealing. So the parts of the Bible they tended to celebrate the most were the parts about baptism and resurrection, being reborn. Now, a lot of that started to change when Christianity flipped from being a persecuted religion to the official religion. When it did that, now you went from being a Christian by choice to being a Christian by default. It was how you were born or how your village was or who your parents were. So it got harder to talk about being reborn. It didn't make as much sense. I was born Christian. I don't need to be reborn. And so that's when the church started focusing more on the cross, on the need to remember our sins. And that's what they talked about more than new life. But that's changing back, I think. Because in America, in a sense, we're not terribly persecuted, right? Even if 
might get looked down on a little bit for being a Christian, even if they might call you weird or some troll calls you names on the internet, or people stare at you funny when you're driving. I, I guess the, even this morning, I get dirty looks this morning. I say dirty looks, weird looks. I'm driving around, and, and you may know, I drive this big old Mercury, right? It, it looks like a mob car. And um, it actually has a glow-in-the-dark uh, pull in the, built into the trunk. I, and I'm not making that up. That's a little logo of somebody running. So if you get stuffed in the back of the car, you can pull it open. So I drive this old Mercury, and it doesn't have, it, it has the original uh, tape player slash radio. So if I want to play my iPod, it won't connect. So I just put on headphones, and I'm playing my iPod, and I'm kind of jamming out, and I'm going down Ina, and I get to Thornydale, and I look over, and there's these two guys in this landscaping truck. And they just look down at me like, who is the priest in the mob car with the headphones? (laughs) You can get weird looks, but you won't get killed, right? So in some ways, it can be a little hard for us to understand talk about rebirth. But it's in the Bible all over, and it's in a lot of Jesus' imagery. You get this exchange in John 3. This is the famous passage with where we get God so loved the world, you know, the one that they put behind the football uh, goalposts. But there's a context for this that we sometimes uh, forget about. And here we go, John 3. There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be reborn? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So Nicodemus, he's a Pharisee. He's got lots of position. He's got authority. He's super knowledgeable in the scriptures. He loves the Lord. And isn't it interesting, of kind of all the high priests and the Pharisees, the only one who we get a name of who comes to Jesus individually to ask him questions is this Nicodemus. And he starts out by saying, I know, I know you must be from God because you do these signs. Which is interesting because a lot of people saw Jesus' signs and they said, this must be a magic trick or he's working for the devil. But Nicodemus is a little sharper. I think Nicodemus knows his scriptures, right? He knows in his Old Testament when a prophet would appear and people didn't listen to the prophet, bad things tended to happen to them. So he gets it. So he comes to Jesus and he believes that Jesus is somehow the real deal, but he wants to understand more. And then Jesus tells him, no one can see the kingdom unless they're born from above. And you go, huh? When I was younger, I always used to think Jesus was like toying with Nicodemus. You know, like playing with him, like throwing out stuff to make him feel stupid. And, uh, you know, I don't think that's what he was doing at all. Maybe that's just what I saw because people did that to me. I don't know. But Nicodemus just, he, he, did, he did see Jesus, and he acknowledges the signs are from God, but he doesn't quite get what that means. Right? But yet, at the same time, he does see 
it's a little confusing. I had to think about this for a while. But this born-again stuff, Nicodemus struggles with it. It doesn't make sense. It's not biology. It's not logical. He can't quite get that it's a metaphor and it's symbolic language. He says, well, you can't be born a second time. Well, of course not. This isn't a biological rebirth. This is a rebirth of your identity, of your person, which is different. We, we in America, modern America, we think of identity as something we craft ourselves, as something we sculpt ourselves by and express our, we explore ourselves and we express ourselves and we you know, do that through the clothes we wear and the colored hair we, we, we use and, and we put tattoos on to show people. Right? They don't brand us, we brand ourselves. We show them who we are. Right? That's our, how our culture is. Right? And we pick the kind of car that represents us, or that we can afford, and we cover it in stickers to let everybody know who we're voting for. That's how we think of identity, right? But in Jesus' day, and a lot of the world still, your identity is a given thing. Your identity is your family, your tribe, your clan, your ethnicity, your religion. They're all communal things that determine your identity. It, it, they all tell you, they, they tell you who you are, but your brothers and sisters, they all have the exact same identity. They have the same parents, same family, same tribe, same clan. It has nothing to do with you and how you feel and what you're gifted at and how you express yourself. Your identity has nothing to do with you. It has to do with the context you're born into. And it's all pretty fixed. Your identity is how you're born. You were born your identity. So if you... So the only way to take away that identity is to get a new birth. You have to be reborn. For people born outside of Christianity, I think this is sometimes easier for them to understand. When I talk to that... A guy from Ethiopia who came and spoke at our Bible camp one summer talking about what it was like when he converted to Christianity and his family kicked him out and put a death warrant on him. You know? And now, they disowned him. So, what's your identity? He can't say any of those things anymore. It's almost like he's a non-person. He lost his place. He was born into this, but now he's a follower of Jesus. So what do you do? Well, you study the word. You become a participant in the Christian community. You get baptized, and now you take on a new identity. I am no longer what I was born as. I am a Christian. I am a follower of Jesus. The old self is washed away, and a new self is taken on. And this is great news if you don't like the identity you're born to. Say you were born into a lower caste, or you were born into some outcast group or you're branded as something because of something you did, right? I mean, think of how we talk about people who have, have a record. You know, it, it's, it's Joe. Joe is a delinquent, and he's a felon, and he's a criminal, and he's a lawbreaker. It isn't Joe committed crimes, did felonies, broke the law. It's Joe is a felon and a criminal and a delinquent. See, we talk about it. Your, 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 your worst action becomes your identity. How do you shake that? You have to take on a new identity. Right? 
If, you, if you're bullied because you're born a way that the culture doesn't approve of, say you aren't accepted in the group you were born into. They rejected you. They give you a nickname that was kind of a slur. Then for you, the gospel is great news. Because you are not all those things they pile onto you. They are, you are not the sum of your worst actions. You are not forever branded with some sort of scarlet letter. You can come to Jesus and have a whole new start where you are loved and you are valued and you can let go of all that. This is great news if you are looking for a new start. If the world has not been great to you. You know, for me as a kid, I loved it. That was kind of a nerdy one, right? The world wasn't always good to me. My family was always good to me. But I was the guy, you know, I wasn't good at sports until 10th grade. And then I discovered that by 10th grade, all the starting positions were picked in 5th grade. And, and I always, my favorite part was always the pull-up test. I don't know if they still do the pull-up test. Do they still do the pull-up test in gym class? I, I, I'm, getting, I'm getting a shake out there. We, we, we would have to sit there and get measured. And my, that, that gym teacher would go, hmm, you had three. Well, you know, some guy's like five foot tall and he wrestles, you know. He's at like 50. We're like, dude, man. And then it's me, and I'm like, well, six foot one, and I'm lanky and uncoordinated. I'm like, ah, ha, ha, right? I didn't fit in. I didn't weld my own motorbikes. That was a cool thing in my neighborhood. Cool people welded their own bikes, right? But at church, I wasn't a nerd. I was just a person. The gospel made sense to me. It was good news. Setting my identity in Jesus and not in the world was freeing. So, what then if you're not from the wrong side of the tracks? What if the world's been good to you? You have looks, money, friends, safety, popularity. You have your needs taken care of and people want to be around you. You think you're going to be looking to take on a new identity when the one you're born with really works? At least in the world. To you, this rebirth stuff doesn't make sense. Can can make no sense. It could be gibberish, just religious talk. Obviously, people can't be reborn. It's unscientific, unenlightened, nonsensical. You people need to be brave and face reality. One cannot be reborn. That's just how it is. To them, They can't see the kingdom of God at work because the kingdom of this world is working just fine. So I I really got to give credit to Nicodemus. God bless Nicodemus for trying. He knows there's something up with Jesus. He's pretty certain Jesus is the real deal, but Jesus doesn't quite fit what he expected, so he has to check it out a little bit. And he wants to learn. But Nicodemus, he's in a good position of wealth and power, social standing. Nicodemus is on the high council that will eventually try Jesus. And and being a member of that council, that gives him social standing. People don't make fun of him when he walks down the street. They don't bully his kids. They don't exclude him from all the good parties. The kingdom of the world's been pretty good to him. And yet, God's spirit is starting to crack, starting to open him up a little bit more than his fellow people on the council did, who didn't give Jesus the time of day. So he's trying, but he can't quite get it. 
because he's still stuck in the spirit of the world. And he needs to allow himself to let go of what he knows and the perspective he's inherited and let the spirit of God in. He loves the Lord already, so it shouldn't be hard because God really does want all of us, I believe, to see the kingdom, to have the joy of being freed from the bad identities we get in the world and to take on a new life in Jesus. Amen.